Thank you for joining this sermon podcast from Cornerstone Fellowship in Forest City, North Carolina. We hope that you are blessed and encouraged by today's message. Cornerstone exists to glorify God as we passionately pursue Him and make Him known through worship, discipleship, fellowship, and outreach. Here's today's message. We're going to take a look today at John chapter 20. John chapter 20, and we will begin our reading in verse 1. John chapter 20, beginning in verse 1. Now on the first day of the week, that would be Sunday, Mary Magdalene. She was from Magdala, so that's not her last name. But that's how they would say it. Judas Iscariot was the only disciple that was not from Galilee, so he's identified as to where he was from. But Mary the Magdalene came early to the tomb while it was still dark and saw the stone already taken away from the tomb. So she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved. By the way, he's the one writing this. But he loves throwing it in there that, you know, Jesus had one disciple he was really crazy about. It just happens to be John. (laughs) And said to him, to them, they have taken away the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter and the other disciple went forth, and they were going to the tomb. The two were running together, and the other disciple ran ahead faster. Just letting you know, he outran Peter. And came to the tomb first. And stooping and looking in, he saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he did not go in. And so Simon Peter also came following him and entered the tomb. And he saw the linen wrappings lying there. And the face cloth which had been on his head, not lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled up in a place by itself. So the other disciple who had first come to the tomb then also entered and he saw and believed. Just saying, I believe before Peter did. Far as, or for as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. So the disciples went away again to their own homes. But Mary was standing outside the tomb weeping. And so as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting, one at the head and one at the feet where the body of Jesus had been lying. And they told her or said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. And when she said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there and did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, just tell me where you've laid him 
and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary, and she turned and said to him, Master, Adaraboni in the Hebrew, and John always, because he's writing mostly to a Greek audience, any of these Jewish terms, he'll clear them up for you. He says, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, stop clinging to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brethren and say to them, I ascend to my Father and your Father and my God and your God. Last of all, Mary Magdalene came announcing to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And he had said these things, or she told them the things that he had said to her. You probably have never heard of Robert Ebling. I had not until I read his story. He died a very depressed and desperate man, but Robert Ebling, one of his famous statements, he said, I told my wife, it's going to explode. It's not going to make it. He was a NASA engineer on the space shuttle Challenger in 1986. He said, I knew when I saw the temperatures that morning at the launch site that it was not going to make it. And he got together with some other engineers who shared his concern. And they tried their best with the authorities to stop the launch. But they decided that no, we're going ahead with it anyway. And of course you remember what happened. It seems like yesterday, but I was in math class in Gardner-Webb College, okay, That's a long time ago. Ebling said this, God made a mistake. He said, God made a mistake because he chose a loser. He chose me to be one of the engineers. And he said, had I tried harder, perhaps I could have stopped that launch. And he spent the rest of his life regretting the fact that he didn't try harder. Harder. Those lives that were wiped out that day stayed on his mind. He became so depressed and delusional that, that, that he would uh, uh, actually see things that were not even there. And, and, and he lived his whole life that way until finally he died. You don't get a lot of do-overs in life sometimes. A few times you might, but that's why I think we live with so so many regrets. I I hear us say as humans a lot of times, if I could just go back and do things differently, if I if I had a, just had a do-over on that one thing, or if I could just go back to that moment, and I don't know what that moment would be for you, but I'll promise you in a crowd this size, there's some of you that, yeah, you can remember that moment. That decision that you made that if you could go back and redo it, you would you, a thousand times over, you would, you would change it. You'd give anything you could if you could just 
get a do-over on it. Maybe you're, you would say, had I not been texting on my phone while I was driving, that person would still be alive that I, I hit with my car. I'd love to go back to that night. Or maybe yours is she called me and I should have gone over there to check on her and I had no idea what she was planning to do. And when I heard the news, I knew. I had failed as a friend. Maybe if only his mom and I had not let him drive. There are parents that, that say that if we'd just not given him the keys to the car that night, he would still be here. And, and, and I almost didn't do it, but, but I did. And, and, and well, now he's gone. That, that may be a moment like you would describe. Maybe some of you would say, if I had it to do over, when my friend handed me that bottle that night, I would have smashed it in a thousand pieces. But like a fool, I put it to my lips, and I've been putting it to my lips ever since. And I've stopped drinking out of it, and it's been drinking out of me for years. If I just had that moment to do over, maybe... We humans are depraved. Maybe your moment is you still remember when you slid the key in that hotel door lock. You went in there and lost self-respect, hurt a precious wife or husband somewhere, lost the honor your children had for you, and years after that, that brief pleasure is gone. You would love. Oh, he'd give anything if he could do that over. Maybe a friend just gave you something one time. Innocently, ah, oh, the doctors prescribed this to help me sleep. Take you one of them and uh, uh, you'll, you'll rest better tonight. And boy, it worked. As a matter of fact, it worked so well. Now you can't quit taking them. If we could just reverse the circumstances, we could go on and on. It's called the curse of sin. It's called the curse of sin. And it began in a garden and it ended in a garden. It started in Genesis 3 and it ends in John chapter 20. But it ends only because we put our faith in Jesus Christ. It ends, and I'm not saying that all of the pain of all of those bad decisions just goes away, but I can tell you the only answer for all the regrets that we have in our life is to turn to Jesus Christ. He is the only one that can help us live with the things that we would so love to change. And, and you may never get completely over them, but your life can be transformed and you can live with hope and die with hope if you know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. I want to ask you a question today. What is so special about the resurrection? Now, if you're just a decent, nice, honest church member, probably nothing. 
But if you are a born-again Christian who has put your faith in Jesus Christ and you have depended upon or are depending daily upon his death on the cross to pay for your sins, then, man, it means everything. <laughs> it means everything. Matter of fact, let me ask you a question. Can you be a Christian and not believe in the resurrection? Well, I knew some of you would answer <laughs> It's a great question to ask people, though, because I know people who say they are Christians, but that resurrection thing has just kind of got them stumped. You know, I was thinking about, uh, I know we have some folks here that, that have kids uh, and grandkids in the Marine Corps, and, and man, I love the Marines, always have, and, and what if I just walked up to one of them and said, hey, simplify, brother, and and they looked at me and said, Semper Fi, man, and how's it going? And then we finally get around to where they asked me, when did you serve? And I go, well, I didn't. I just like the Marines. I love the Marines. I just tell you, boy, they mean a lot to me. And, and I got a hat at home with Marines on it and all of that kind of stuff. You, you, you would not let me keep going around saying that I am Marine to the core if I've never served in the Marines. You just would not allow that. You would finally pull me to the side and say, Mike, you're living this illusion. You've never been a Marine. Quit calling yourself one. And you know why you would say that? Because we have far more respect for the Marine Corps than we do for God. Because God has told us, that he died, and that he rose again, and that believing in his resurrection is part of salvation. But nowadays we kind of go, well, you know, everybody, they kind of believe different things. And I know some people, they may not believe like you do, Preacher Mike, but they're very sincere in what they believe. Let me illustrate it this way. I've heard this before, but what if when you sat down in your chair... After singing three songs today, your chair wasn't there. Maybe somebody pulled that chair away and, and Wally didn't know it. And he goes to sit down and, and he winds up in the floor and we're thinking Benny Hinn must be preaching today. But what if Wally really believes the chair is there? What if he really believes it? I mean, what if he believes it with all of his heart? When he sits down, is the chair going to be there? No. And when we say we're a Christian and yet we do not believe in the resurrection of Christ, the chair is the object holding him up. The object of our faith is gone. If Jesus is dead, we have nothing in which to believe. As a matter of fact, Christianity is the only religion in the world that could be totally disputed if historically you could prove that Jesus never rose from the dead. Because we're not Hindus. We didn't make up gods and stories about them. We're not Muslims. We didn't create a Allah that just kind of fits us to a T. We're, we're not pagans. We are Christians. And our faith is based not on a set of beliefs, not just on a book or a building, but it is based on a relationship with a living God. 
And if he's dead, we have no chair, friend. Well, what is so special about it? For us who are Christians and have trusted in him, and if you have it, by the way, I hope you will today. But just so you'll know why we are so crazy about the resurrection of Jesus. First of all, for us it means the desperation has ended. It says in verse 11 that Mary was standing outside the tomb and she was weeping. And so as she wept, she stooped and looked in the tomb. She is weeping. All hope is gone. The disciples, they put all their confidence and all their hope and all their faith, they put it all in that tomb with Jesus Christ. And I can tell you, as far as they were concerned, life was pretty much not even worth living. They're not at the tomb that morning. She got there sometime between 3 and 6 in the morning, probably closer to 6, but she is there early. Why aren't the rest of the disciples there? Why go? He's dead. He's dead. They saw him die. It's over with as far as they are concerned. And here's Mary Magdalene. She is really distraught because here is a woman that when Jesus was alive, he cast seven demons out of her. I've never met a woman with seven demons. Met one with six. That was in my second church. Seven demons. She didn't need a teacher. She didn't need somebody to inspire her. She didn't just need somebody to live a great example in front of her. She needed a Savior. And if Jesus Christ is dead, then she doesn't have one. And that's what she so desperately desperately needed this disciples are scattered everywhere I, I can just tell you they're distraught as well uh, we as sinners needed a savior and if you're wondering what's so special about the resurrection when Jesus came forth out of the tomb we knew that we had more than a scholar we had more than just a teacher we knew then we had more than just a good example we knew we had a savior we had someone that could transform our lives we knew the desperation could finally end well i meet people all the time some of them I, I know well, but they live, they live in desperation. It's just one thing after another, one shattered dream after another, one project after another, one job after another, one marriage after another, one relationship after another, one new idea after another, and it ends in disappointment, and they just go on through life living a life of desperation. For us as children of God, even though we have our troubles and our difficulties and we still get sick and sometimes we still go broke and sometimes things don't work out. But I can tell you, for us, we know that the desperation, the eternal desperation has ended, friend. Secondly, we know the decay has ended. It says, now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came early to the tomb while it was still dark and saw the stone already taken away from the tomb. Mark 16 tells us that the reason these women went there, they brought spices to preserve a corpse. It wasn't to worship. 
It wasn't to rejoice. It wasn't to be the first sunrise service. It was to preserve a corpse. And she looks at the gardener and says, where, where have you carried him to? Wherever you have, tell me. And, and I'll go get him and I will take care of him. That body is all we have left. I, I thought about Sometimes, you know, we find remains of soldiers that died in World War II, and there can't be a whole lot left. But if just a little bit of those, a box full of those remains can be shipped home, and that family can bury their loved one, there is a sense of closure about all of that. Because that is all they've got. That's all they've got, and they didn't have that for years. And just the news that, that they found my father's body or, or, or my husband's body or my wife's body that, that was destroyed in, in that terrible war, and, and now we can finally bury our loved one. We can at least have a grave that we can go and visit. Before we had nothing at all, I've read in the news about parents who've had children that were murdered. And one of the things that they would beg, and sometimes the court system would even make a deal with the murderer, that if you'll tell this family where you buried their daughter, we'll lighten your sentence. Because she's dead. But just having the body if that's all you got, that's all you got. It's worth something having it. So she wanted the body. You know, decay happens physically. But I want to tell you something. Without a relationship with God, it also happens spiritually. I, I, I think about people who have come to me before, and they would confess. And maybe different words, but it'd be, Pastor, my life has been rotting for years. I lost my self-respect years ago. Don't remember exact date, but I lost a wife that loved me or a husband that loved me or my children won't speak to me or whatever. Their life is decaying just like a rotting corpse because remember, Paul told us, you were at one time dead in your trespasses and sins. I think about the demoniac in Mark chapter 5. He lost his family. Who knew he even had a family? Jesus says, you need to go home to your family. He lost his dignity, lost his friends, finally lost his mind. Finally lost his mind. I, I forget the psychiatrist's name. I'm sure Dr. Beasley could help me with it. But I remember one famous psychiatrist said that 75% of the people in asylums, I guess that's back when we actually had them, could walk out the door tomorrow, he said, if they had the assurance that their sins have been forgiven. They could leave tomorrow. They've lost their mind. They've lost everything. That's why we love the resurrection. The decay stopped. Thirdly, the discord has ended. I love this verse. Jesus said to her, stop clinging to me. That's a tough little verse right there to translate. And I'm not sure that that's exactly what that means. 
none of us are. For I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brethren and say to them, I ascend to my Father and your Father, my God and your God. Man, the pronouns here are awesome. Because you've got to remember, when humans sinned, it separated us in three ways. First of all, it separated us from God. When God came back into the garden, Adam did the dumbest thing he could have ever done in his life. He ran and hid from the only one that could really help him. Man, that is so frustrating. Is it not when you have somebody that you love and it is like, man, they'll do almost anything except run and embrace the Savior? You pray for them and you talk with them and you encourage them and you want them so badly just to fall at his feet because he's the only one that can really help them and give them peace in their heart. And you so desperately want that. But it is like they're afraid and they're hiding from the only one that can help them. It also separated us from each other. They started making them some little fig leaf leisure suits, you know. And so they started to hide from each other. And we do the same thing. When we start to sin, we sometimes we'll act like we're being accountable to somebody. But we know how to tell just enough of what's really going on in our life. It, it, you know, us church folks, when we confess sins, we confess sins like, well, y'all pray for me, I I've, I've, I'm really, uh, I, need, I need patience. <laughs> and if you're not careful, we'll find out that you're not even wrong. You'll tell us, I need patience because I'm going to kill that guy at work if he keeps doing what he's been doing. Well, see, that's not even on you. We love confessing sins like that. Those are, those are easy. I don't have too many men walk up to me and say, look, pastor, I'm addicted to porn. And I'm a deacon. Or I'm a pastor. And I need help. Don't hear that much. Don't hear that much. It separated us from God and each other and in it also separated Adam from himself. He couldn't even see himself clearly anymore because immediately he said, he blames Eve. He says, Lord, you know that woman that you gave me? Don't know if she was the best you had, but the one you gave me kind of goofed things up. He can't even see himself. And I, you meet people all the time. We always do. And we can be that way as well. We can think that everybody in the marching band is out of step but us. Everybody's got a problem except for us. Here's the deal. Notice what Jesus says to her. Go tell. My brethren. Wow. The disciples were his brothers. I am, not only am I his son, but Jesus Christ and I have a brother relationship as well. Father and son. And he goes on, he says, and I ascend to my father. Well, that's kind of good news. 
But then it's really good news when he says to her, and your father. We had been reconciled to God through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We were out of sorts. Could you imagine? And, and I know you probably been there it feels good to be reconciled after you finally quit hating and and you finally uh quit just dreaming about about killing that person and 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 you quit uh, just just hoping that somehow or another they'd walk off a cliff when you finally get beyond all of that and and, and you reconcile and you quit Hoping their team loses today. I know they, they pull for the Cowboys, which I figure everybody does. But you stop all that. Feels good, doesn't it? Feels like a load's been lifted off of you. Man, to find out we've been reconciled to God, that's some awesome news. After all the things I did, after the pride and, and the foolishness that I had in, in my life, man, I was so arrogant and, 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 and I was so hateful. I, I still see people sometimes on Facebook that I was mean to in high school. And, and, and I, I treated them poorly and I aggravated them and, and bullied them sometimes. I, I, I hate all of that. And, and for God to forgive me, He should have treated me like I treated Ricky. That's a real guy. He was overweight. I made fun of him all the time. Yeah. Man. Well, we've been reconciled to God. That's so awesome. Also, the desperation decayed, discord, the doubts have ended. Mary Magdalene, in verse 18, came announcing to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. He's alive. I have seen the Lord. Man, the, you, you quit doubting all of that. I, I, I can tell you, no, you can't be a Christian and not believe in the resurrection. You cannot. There's nothing for you to believe in. And, and it's like I said, Christianity could be invalidated if you could historically prove that Jesus never rose from the dead. But he told his disciples and told his disciples just in Matthew. He told them in chapter 12, chapter 16, chapter 20, chapter 26, just in Matthew, that he would rise from the dead. And they just did not believe him. And I know we live in this world today where they look at us like, well, you know, for you lesser educated folk, it's probably a lot easier for you to believe in something like that. <laughs> Man, there's a professor named Joshua Swamidas. With a name like that, it's wonder it's not one of our pastors we have to pray for that Mike has to pronounce his name. But he is a doctor. He is an MD and he has a PhD as well. He's a physician, scientist, and assistant professor of laboratory in genomic medicine at Washington University in St. Louis. 
I'd say he's got the education. Dr. Swami Das, though, I read his, an article by him. He said, with all of the things I know about science, he said, I'm a born-again Christian. And he said, every year I celebrate the bodily resurrection of my Lord. And he didn't just believe it out of just blind faith, but that's a big part of it. We have to have faith. But he'll give you a list of things that he discovered. He talks about in the crucifixion itself. He says when the psalmist in in Psalm 22 talks about how they pierced his hands and feet, he says crucifixion had not even been invented when the psalmist was alive. The Romans are the ones who came along and invented crucifixion. Men in the Old Testament talked about Jesus and his crucifixion. They had never heard of one. They had never seen one. They did not take place in their lifetime. It would be hundreds of years later before any such thing would ever take place. He said, that's just one of the reasons that I believe my Lord is raised from the dead. Last of all, Desperation ends, decay ends, discord ends, doubt ends, and death ends. Death ends. I want to read a verse from Luke, but it was all in the passage we read today. But in Luke 24, Jesus asked the question, why do you seek the living one among the dead? That's always been a profound statement to me. He is not here but he is risen. It's just like nowadays when people seek Jesus in religion. You're seeking the living among the dead, friend. I, 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 this new fangled progressive Christianity about where, you know, well, you, you know Muslims believe in Jesus. They do. They believe he was a great prophet. He lived, historically, lived and died. They don't believe he's a savior. They find their salvation in working really hard and keeping commandments and laws and blowing up things. You don't just have to go as far as the Muslims. Go to the Seventh-day Adventists. They're all around us. I got a letter from them last week inviting me to some big seminar they're doing. I can always tell it's Seventh-day Adventists because they never sign anything. I don't know when they're planning on springing it on you that this is a Seventh-day Adventist event. It's usually something about the interpretation of the revelation and all of that. And and you say, well, Mike, I know some Seventh-day Adventists, and they're wonderful, wonderful people. I know some Seventh-day Adventists, too, are wonderful, wonderful people. I got all of that. But Seventh-day Adventists don't trust totally, fully in the work of Jesus Christ on the cross for their salvation. He is part of it. Keeping the Old Testament laws and worshiping on the Sabbath. Matter of fact, not worshiping on the Sabbath for them is the mark of the beast. And don't say that's crazy because I've heard in Baptist churches that Walmart put all the cash registers on the left 
so that they could start reading that code they're going to imprint into us one day. Some of you are looking at me like, you mean they didn't? I can just tell you, if you're looking in religion, if you're trying to take something that you found yourself comfortable with, what do Hindus believe? They believe in thousands of gods, and Jesus is one of them, but they do not trust in him as their Savior. I've seen them with my eyes walk around a tree about a hundred times so that they can have a relationship with God, and and that was supposed to bless their marriage. I, I, I ask, what's with the tree? They do things like that all the time because that's part of their salvation. They're looking for the living God among the dead. Wow. One of the greatest opportunities I have ever had in my life was when Brother Bruce and I walked out of a church over there one day. We'd been worshiping on a back street in this little town. And when I got outside, there was a bunch of people out there. And they wanted me to pray for them. Now, that's not a big deal. Anytime they consider you a holy man, they want you to do that. But they were Hindus. Well, the next thing you know, I find out they're wanting me to speak. So they start dragging chairs out into the street. And I get to preach in the middle of this Hindu town to a bunch of Hindu people that the gods that they have up and down the sides of the road and all of these shrines that you made them, but there's one true and living God and he made you. And he wants to be your savior. And you can ask Bruce, he's standing in the back. About that time, we heard gunfire. And then we did have some church, buddy. First time I've ever ran in church. It is all right. We made it out alive. <laughs> oh, praise the Lord. Man, I want to tell you something. One of these days, if, we, if I live long enough, I'm going to leave this old world. And they'll put this old corpse in the ground. But I can tell you, I won't stay there. I'm going to be with God forever and ever. And you that have loved ones that have gone on, I can tell you, if they know the Lord and you know the Lord, you have more than just a grave site to go to. You have hope. I don't mean the kind where you hope you win the lottery. No. Hope in the Bible is an, a, a statement of assurance. It's something you look forward to because you know it's going to happen. This past Thursday, Patrick would have been 50 years old. I can hardly believe that. The last time I saw him, he was 16. Got in a little trouble at school one day for a kid. It just looked way bigger than it was. It was nothing. He was a good kid. President of his class. Good-looking boy. 
He came home distraught. He went in his mom and dad's bedroom. Before his dad could get home, get the door open. His mom heard him when he took his life. I was in Anderson when that happened. I was preaching in North Carolina, but I was there then because my father was about to pass away. Their house was a couple of miles away, and I went over. I sat down beside his precious mother. And I just told her, I said, all I know to tell you is I love you. And God loves you. And you know, after all of these years of being a pastor, I think that's the only thing I could tell her now. I don't have any, I've not learned anything in seminary or preaching or reading or anything. But I'll tell you this, Patrick was a born-again Christian. And his mom and dad are two of the dearest saints you will ever meet in your life. His dad was a deacon in my home church. His mom was the pianist. They both still serve there. I go back that way to preach. They come and they'll even sit and listen to me. And they don't even have to. They know they'll see him. I saw where his mom posted happy birthday to him. 50th birthday. hard to believe. That's why the resurrection is so special, friend. So special. And if you don't if you don't know it, if you don't believe it, if it's not happened in your life, because here's the thing, you not only need to embrace it with your faith, but you need to experience it. Paul tells us in Colossians 3, if we have been risen with Christ. That means if you have died to self, that arrogant ignoramus that used to pick on Ricky, I had to die. I was so full of pride. And it's so crazy. I know I mentioned that he was overweight. And of course, you, I'm sure, made the connection there. All the things I seem to have pride in. Boy, I had a head full of hair. Good Lord. I got a friend here. He remembers. I was so good looking, he fell in love with me. Oh, yeah. Seems like all the things I had pride in are gone. But what matters? Man, I got. And I didn't deserve it. See, I had to experience the resurrection too. I had to die to self. And when you finally get off that high horse of yours and quit walking in church with two big handfuls of expectations and, 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 and being mad at the world and, and you quit trying to satisfy your own soul and you quit looking to things on this earth to, to make you happy, to be the next thing that's going to finally take you over the top when you take all of that and you give it all up and you just die before God and he can give you a new life he can raise you from that spiritual death and decay and you can start rejoicing in the 
awesome power of the resurrection. Let's pray. Our Father, we come to you today and we thank you, Lord, that we lived long enough to celebrate another one. We thank you, Father, for giving us life when we didn't deserve it. Lord, we deserved hell. Lord, you had mercy on us. And by your grace, God, you reached out to us. When we couldn't come to you, you came to us and you lived in this sin-cursed world. That, and you felt our pain. You, you, you felt what we feel, God. Lord, you died. Lord, we deserve death. You didn't. But Lord, we praise your name. That on the first day of the week, you came out of that tomb. We thank you for that. We praise your name today, Lord. And I pray right now, God, if there's one here that Lord, maybe they're just, they're as good a church attender as anybody's ever seen. Maybe they've even made professions. Maybe, maybe they're trying hard every chance they get, but Lord, they know deep down inside they have never experienced the transforming power of your love. I pray God they'd experience a resurrection. That they'd have their own resurrection Sunday today. I pray right now as they bow in the quietness of this moment, right now they just whisper those words to you however they want to say it, but I pray God they would surrender their life to you right now. Help them, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Thank you for joining us today. If you have any questions or would like to know more about Cornerstone, please visit our website at servantsway.com or email us at office at servantsway.com. Cornerstone Fellowship is located at 1186 Hudlow Road, Forest City, North Carolina. Please join us again next week.